1: Welcome to the New Books Network. This is Nathan Moore, your host on the New Books Network. Today, we will be interviewing Daniel Shank Cruz about their new publication titled Ethics for Apocalyptic Times Theopoetics, Auto Theory, and Mennonite Literature, published by Penn State University Press this year, 2023. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thank you. How would you describe the central argument of your book, Ethics for Apocalyptic Times?
0: Uh, The central argument would be that literature is something more than art, that it has uh, power uh, to help us in all aspects of our lives. Um, and that it has power to change society, that it is political. And so the book just uh, examines some ways, uh, some reading strategies that help us to see how literature can do that. Uh, so, by reading what I call reading Thea poetically, uh, we can see how literature can give us sustenance uh, for uh living through uh the difficult times that we are living in right now uh and i define those difficult times as as sort of being a three-pronged uh triple pandemic of COVID 19 which is still with us Uh, we still have more than a thousand people dying of COVID 19 in the united states every week uh and then we still have uh the issue of climate change Uh, I'm speaking to you today on December 17th from Jersey City, New Jersey, where it was 57 degrees yesterday and is, again, supposed to be in the 50s, even though it's almost Christmas. Uh, So we're seeing those effects of climate change right now. Uh, And then the third part of the triple pandemic being the rise of global fascism. Uh, So thinking about in my United States context, uh, the huge support that Donald Trump Uh, still has, for instance, as one uh, aspect of that. And so my book is about how do we use literature uh, to teach us how to deal with these very difficult, uh, even unprecedented times.
1: What inspired you to write this book? Um, You sort of already mentioned a lot of reasons about why right now is a good time to release it.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I was not planning to write this book. Uh, I was working on another book project uh, in March of 2020 when the pandemic began. Um, And dealing with those first weeks and first two months or so of the pandemic and the upheaval that it caused in my life and everyone else's, This book sort of snuck up on me. Um, I had been working on a couple of essays about the theological aspects of Mennonite literature that I had just in December of 2019 been asked to write um, and was surprised at those invitations because I don't consider myself a theologian. Uh, I'm trained as a literary scholar and a creative writer. And so I was surprised to be asked to contribute essays to two theological projects. So those, those essays were sort of percolating in the back of my mind. And then the pandemic began, uh, and that was sort of a catalyst as I was uh, you know, trying to figure out how do I survive during this pandemic emotionally, not just physically, trying to avoid the virus. Um, but thinking about, you know, reading literature and how that was comforting to me and reading stories about people staying at home and watching Netflix and um, you know, really turning to art in various forms uh, to help keep us sane, uh, something clicked in my head, and this the idea for this book, Uh, came about and it just sort of poured out of me I wrote a first draft of it in about four months uh, which is ridiculously fast for my own writing uh, process Uh, and then certainly the the book has gone through a lot of revision between now and then or then and now I should say Um, but that you know that pressure cooker I guess you could say of the pandemic uh, combined with some ideas I was already thinking about is what caused me to decide to write this book and see where it went it took me quite a while to figure out what the structure of the book was going to be Um, the book is a hybrid of memoir and literary criticism and that hybrid form was something that was not there quite at the beginning that it took me a little while to figure out um, that it needed to be sort of a non-traditional form uh, to deal with our uh, extraordinary times, uh, but it was it was that catalyst of the pandemic, uh, and trying to figure out a way to react to that in my own writing uh, that caused me to uh, to approach this project. What is
1: the significance of focusing on Mennonite literature?
0: That is a great question. Uh, Mennonite literature is a fairly Uh, obscure field of literary studies. It is much more well-known in Canada than in the United States. Um, But I was raised a Mennonite and I went to a Mennonite college uh, and have been reading Mennonite literature since college. And so uh, Mennonitism is a tradition that I'm very familiar with and Mennonite literature in many ways, uh, even though I am no longer a theological Mennonite, uh, for the last 20 years that I've been reading Mennonite literature, it is, has felt like a kind of home for me. And so that is the the literary tradition that I am most familiar with. And so I decided to write about reading poetically by focusing on Mennonite literature, uh, which itself often deals with spiritual or theological themes. So it's kind of a natural fit for thinking about Um, how to read in a way that um, causes us to think about our relationship to something bigger than ourselves. Uh, But I do argue in the book that you can read any tradition of literature, thea, poetically. Uh, So no matter who you are, you certainly don't have to be a Mennonite to get something out of this book. Um, And I do talk about uh, a number of examples of non-Mennonite literature in the book as well. Um, to show that theopoetics uh, can be for any reader, not just Mennonites. But I choose to focus on Mennonite literature uh, to give examples of how I have had theopoetic experiences as a reader myself through reading this literature that I am intimately familiar with.
1: What were some of your key challenges and also some of the rewards for you about writing about ethics?
0: That is, yeah, Uh, writing about ethics. So some of the challenges um, was just trying to be hopeful as I wrote this book because we are living in tremendously stressful and difficult times. And in my context of the United States, uh, where society has mostly decided to ignore that covid 19 is still a very serious problem and go back to quote unquote normal uh, we haven't really had time for like a collective communal grieving process regarding the pandemic that I think we really need uh, to process that I you know i I think a lot of people forget <laughs> that all of us have been through this incredibly traumatic event Um and you know, need some time to to deal with that trauma. And so a lot of the time, honestly, I feel very depressed uh, and cynical um, about where we are as a society, dealing with uh, COVID-19 certainly, and also the political situation in the United States and the continuing lack of action regarding climate change. So it was definitely a struggle for me not to just give in to despair as I was writing this book and and to stop writing, um, but instead to focus on the hopefulness that is in the book. I do believe this is a hopeful book and I tried to make it a hopeful book and trying to think ethically um, and think about how can we live ethically in these times as individuals? How can we make an individual impact to try to make things better um, that work was difficult at times to thinking about that hopefulness, but that that then became its own reward too. To remind myself, hey, not all hope is lost. Um, that there is still possibility for change. That reading literature can show us uh, visions for that change. Uh, so it was, you know, certainly a difficult writing process, like I mentioned earlier that I wrote a first draft very quickly. Uh, And so in that sense, the book was easy to write, but the subject matter of it is difficult subject matter. And so in that sense, it was very difficult to write. Um, That, you know, when you have (laughs) the word apocalyptic in your title, uh, that sort of highlights how things are difficult right now, right? Um, But I do believe there are ways that we can make things better not just for ourselves as individuals, but for others that we interact with uh, through the choices we make about our own actions. So I do believe that it is still important for us to try to act ethically, even if we feel like the world is terrible, that um, that there are still things we can do to make it better on a day-to-day basis. How does
1: theopoetics differ from other approaches to reading literature, such as theology or literary criticism?
0: So I would say that uh, theopoetics uh, combines theology and literary criticism. Uh, And so in that way, it's sort of a middle way or a third way between those two things. Um, That reading theopoetically is simply reading with an openness um, that when I am reading this book in my hand or listening to this audiobook in my ears, uh, it might change me. It might change the way I look at the world. Uh, and so I might have some sort of experience of the divine as I read this book. And I do define the, the divine throughout the book as an entity that is different for everyone. So when I say the divine, I am not specifically talking about a kind of traditional, uh, God that you might find in most religions that divine might be a sort of secular force or presence. So you can be an atheist and still read things the poetically. Um, so that divine is going to be different for different people. um, but theopoetics is about reading with an open heart uh, and seeing what literature can do to change you. Whereas theology, I think uh, reading a book theo- theologically uh, is a bit more structured. Uh, you have more guidelines for what you're looking for in a book. And I think likewise with literary criticism, uh, you know, and I say this myself as a literary critic, you're reading a book with an eye towards um investigating it through a certain lens. So for instance, my first book, Queering Mennonite Literature, I read Mennonite Literature through the lens of queer theory, right? So I'm looking for queer themes in those books um, that I'm discussing. Uh, And so both theology and literary criticism, when you're reading in those modes, uh, are much more structured, I think, in terms of what you're looking for to get out of a reading experience, whereas reading theopoetically poetically. Um, certainly you're reading with an eye for how can this uh, this book uh, make me a better person and and teach me about the world? But the openness for how it's going how that book might do that um, you're you're being a lot more um, open to how that might happen rather than coming to a book with an agenda like you do, when you're reading theologically or uh, for literary criticism.
1: Is there more that you can tell the New Books Network audience about the relationship between literature and the divine?
0: Yeah, so let me um, start by saying a little bit more about the divine. I mean, when I say literature, any any book that you're reading uh, can be contained in that category. Uh, the Divine is something that um, certainly is originally a the- uh, a theological term, uh, one way to uh, to refer to God. Um, but as I was saying, like I, I view the divine in this book not as an explicitly supernatural or religious or spiritual entity, but just some sense. Uh, of feeling like there is something bigger than you as an individual. So it can be a secular presence. It can be a religious or spiritual presence. Um, but my, my thinking in terms of defining the divine in this book is heavily influenced by Walt Whitman uh, and his book, Leaves of Grass, and especially his poem, Song of Myself, where he talks about the world, everything in the world being interconnected, Um, and he talks about how, you know, death is a natural part of life. For instance, uh, he says at one point to die is different than anyone supposed and luckier. Right. And at another point he says, if you're looking for me, look for me under your boot soles. Right. That, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm under the grass. I'm there in the earth. Once my physical body dies, I'm still around. Um, And so uh, reading Thea poetically is, and and reading literature sort of thinking about the relationship between literature and and the divine is just being open to that experience of thinking about something bigger than yourself. Um, And I will say that like when you're reading Thea poetically, you don't always experience the divine. Like, it's not like when you say, hey, I'm sitting down with a book and I'm going to try to read with a the-poetic mindset. It's not like you're going to have that kind of transcendent experience with the divine every single time. Um, those experiences can be rare sometimes. Uh, and that's okay. But the important thing is... Uh, to be reading with that open mindset that I mentioned. And so that, you know, that, that relationship between literature and the divine is simply recognizing that the divine might show up at any time as you are having a reading experience.
1: Queer theory and decolonial studies. In what ways does theopoetics connect to those things?
0: Yeah, theopoetics... Uh, It connects to queer theory uh, in regards to queer theory's openness. Uh, So queer theory's desire for a new transformed society, uh, whether that is in terms of political structures or in terms of new literary genres. Um, Certainly, I, I talk about this in the book, how queer theory, the term queer... Relates in part to queer sexualities, uh, which is important that certainly Thea Poetics is very open to, to any sort of sexual expression. Um, but queer, the term queer, also means uh, working for uh, a radically transformed society. So there, there is an element of the revolutionary in queer theory that Thea Poetics also shares. Uh, Theopoetics wants a new society, and so when we're thinking about um, the ethics we can learn from reading theopoetically, uh, we are learning those ethics with the hopes that we can change the world. Uh, And so likewise, uh, theopoetics' relationship with decolonial thinking is decolonial thinking also wants to change the world. Uh, It wants to reverse the effects of colonialism. So, um, both of these, uh, traditions of queer theory and decolonial thinking, um, you can't have one without the other, that you have to have an intersectional approach. And likewise, that approach needs to be feminist, uh, as well, uh, for instance. Um, and so, uh, theopoetics, um, recognizes the SD, um, the essential nature of that uh, that intersectionality, that, that we have to be reading intersectionally in order to end oppression. Um, and it shares that vision of a new world, uh, that, that idea that a new world is possible with queer theory and with decolonial thinking.
1: What are some limitations or critiques of theopoetics
0: as a reading strategy? That's a great question. I think possible limitations, certainly the use of language uh, like the term the divine or the term Thea, which you know, which, which means goddess, which is related to Theo uh, or God. right? So, so this idea that it is a reading strategy that comes out of theology uh, and that is influenced by theology uh, those, that type of language um, might turn some people off uh, who have had traumatic experiences with religion uh, or who, you know, like I, I said, are atheists and maybe don't want anything to do with religious language. Um, so I am trying to revise those terms um, to make them more inclusive that anyone can use them, um, much in the same way that the term queer has been reclaimed by queer theorists uh, and by queer people such as myself um, that it used to be an insult and now it is uh, a term of power and of strength Um, but certainly I understand that um, some people might see that language and and stop right away and say nope I you know I can't do this Uh, so I think that is, you know, that is one challenge uh, in terms of convincing people to, to try to read Thea poetically. Um, and, I, you know, I think the other thing, too, frankly, is um, you don't have to be explicitly thinking to yourself, I'm going to read this book Thea poetically to read Thea poetically. Like, you can have that openness that I'm calling for when you're reading without actively thinking about it. But, you know, I understand too that sometimes people just want to sit on a couch on a Saturday afternoon and read for fun and not be thinking more deeply about what does this reading experience mean? I just want to sit out, sit down and chill out and enjoy this piece of art and just experience this book as a piece of art and nothing more, right? And so, you know, sometimes you don't want to be thinking about, um, how should I be reading this book or what might it do to change me? You just want to have that experience um, that you're reading for fun, right? Um, And I don't think those two types of experiences are exclusionary, but I definitely understand that some people might not be interested in trying to apply certain language to how their reading experiences are going.
1: How do you incorporate auto theory and why is it important for your analysis?
0: So auto theory is a field that uh, has been being more and more theorized in the past half decade or so. Certainly it's a reading strategy that is much older than that, that de- that uh, relates or that um, dates from at least the early, early 1980s in work by uh, queer women of color, um, who I talked some about, um, such as uh, Gloria Anzaldúa or Sherry Murada or Audre Lorde. Um, but auto theory, uh, basically what it is, is doing whatever sort of, writing you are doing, whether it's literary scholarship or literary theory, that's where the the theory and auto theory comes in, Uh, create, so in other words, creating ideas for how people should live or how people should approach a text um, by drawing on your own personal experience. So the auto in auto theory is the same auto as the auto in autobiography, right? An autobiography is someone writing about their own life, Auto-theory, you are creating theory, so you are creating ideas by drawing on your own personal experiences. Uh, So auto-theory believes that our personal experiences can teach us about the broader world and that those ideas, uh, that teaching that we get about the broader world from our own experiences might be relevant for others as well, that they might help others to live too. So, uh, So the belief that personal experience is always important in how we learn about the world and how we can teach others about the world. That there's no such thing as as being able to create objective theory in some way that is completely impersonal um, and universal for everyone. Otto's theory says, no, that's an impossibility. Um, that we have to use our own experiences uh, to help learn about the world and to help teach others about the knowledge we have gained about acting in the world.
1: Can auto theory contribute to developing a relational ethic for our times?
0: I believe so, that for a relational ethic, you need to recognize the validity of uh, the personal experiences of the person or persons you are trying to relate to. Um, And so you need to be talking about where you're coming from, not just your own experiences, but also your own positionality. Uh, So, who are you as a person? So, myself, um, on my mother's side, I'm an ethnic Mennonite. On my father's side, I'm Puerto Rican. I'm genderqueer. I'm bisexual. I'm disabled. I live in New Jersey. Um, you know, I have three graduate degrees, all of these things play a role in who I am and how I, uh, see the world. And so when you're talking about relating to one another ethically, uh, we need to be able to, um, see where the other person is coming from and realize how their experiences are going to affect their, uh, experience of the world. And so auto theory helps us do that.
1: What are the broader implications of using auto-theory in other disciplines beyond literary studies?
0: That's a great question. Uh, And a lot of the auto-theory that I cite, uh, especially in my introduction, um, talks about that question of using auto-theory in the humanities um, in, in a variety of fields. Uh, so the, the main book I cite is by Lauren Fournier, uh, and she writes about auto theory and relationship to, um, to visual art, for instance. Uh, and so a lot of work on auto theory has been done with relationship to the visual arts. Uh, Natalie Lovelace's book is another important auto theoretical text that I talk about. Her book is called How to Make Art at the End of the World. Uh, And so, certainly, auto theory uh, is relevant to any field um, where uh, people are creating work. Um, I I am not so I will say this: I am not a scientist, and I haven't thought much about how auto theory might relate to the sciences. Where mathematical precision is important, for instance. Um, but certainly, any field within the humanities, uh, auto theory has relevance. Um, and I think we're definitely seeing that. Like, there has been an explosion of auto theoretical work uh, in the last half decade as the field has become more visible and as it has sort of a term now to name it, auto theory. Like I said, the actual, the actual kind of writing that auto theory does is quite old. It's at least 40 years old, if not older. Um, but its visibility as, as a field within academia is much newer than that. Um, but now that it has become visible, there has been an explosion in a number of different disciplines. So I focus on it, obviously, relating to literary studies because my book is about literature. Um, but I think... The things that I say about auto theory in my book are relevant for other disciplines uh, because I am drawing on auto theoretical work that is already from other disciplines in my own book.
1: And speaking about other disciplines, what about other researchers or scholars who also write about Mennonite literature in general? Um, how does your new publication contribute to that genre?
0: So my, that's a great question. Um, in several ways, I think there are contribu- uh, contributions uh, to sort of Mennonite literary discourse. Um, one, I talk about the origins of uh, Mennonite literary criticism uh, in a book by John Ruth, Mennonite Identity and Literary Art, uh, and a book by Al Reimer. Uh, which came out in 1993. And so I I revisit sort of the beginnings of the field uh, to talk about how this question of what is the relationship between Mennonite literature and theology or spirituality, how that has always been an important um, question in the field. And I, I try to show in my book that actually all of these Mennonite writers who have just been writing literature for literature's sake, who have not been thinking about their texts as theological, uh, we can read them theologically through the lens of theopoetics. Uh, So I talk about how uh, in John Ruth's book, he calls for Mennonite writers to serve the community, to like explicitly write texts for the Mennonite community and then Al Reimer's book says, "No, actually, writers should just write what they want to write and not worry about the the faith community at all." Uh, and I show how, like, when we read thea poetically, we can see that Mennonite writers are writing books that can serve the Mennonite faith community, even though they are doing so not uh, by just writing art for art's sake, right? So they're they're doing what John Ruth wanted them to do, um, by doing what they want to do themselves by not, by not writing didactically, um, by not writing intentionally theological texts. Uh, So that's one area of Mennonite literary criticism that I comment on in the book. Um, The other main area is that a lot of Mennonite writers uh, have been dealing uh, with the the theological field of Theo poetics, which reads, theology as literature. Uh, and so I talk about how theopoetics uh, branches off of theopoetics uh, to focus on reading the literature theologically instead of reading theology as literature. So it's, it sort of takes the opposite approach, in a sense, though they're definitely related. Um, and so my book continues that trend of thinking about how can we Uh, relate theological concepts, especially theological concepts surrounding how do we create healthy community? Uh, How can we relate that to literature? Uh, So my book certainly plays a role in that discussion. And there's also been a discussion going on uh, in the Mennonite literary field over the past decade or so about what exactly is the Mennonite literary field? Is it a helpful construction or not? How do we read Mennonite literature? How do we define what Mennonite literature is? Uh, so there's sort of been a kind of existential crisis in Mennonite literature, maybe, you could say. And my book certainly um, discusses that issue as well. Uh, that... Um, you know, it says, the, "Let's look at Mennonite literature as a field, and how does it relate um, to other literatures? Uh, let's think about how we read Mennonite literature, which I argue, you know, maybe we should read it thea poetically." Um, and so, uh, yeah, so so the field of Mennonite literary criticism has never been more active than it is now. Uh, and so my book tries to, tries to interact with a lot of that activity, um, in part by going back to this very, very old question in the field of what relationship should Mennonite literature have to the faith community and to religion and to theology. Um, and I say, well, it's always had this relationship, uh, whether it's been a didactic one or not what are some practical
1: ways that readers can use theopoetics to develop an ethical response to the challenges of our time?
0: So like I've said, I think the important thing is uh, when you're reading theopoetically, you're being open to what a book can teach you um, and especially can teach you about ethics um. And so how to live, right? How to relate to other people. Uh, And so, you know, the best thing you can do to read theopoetically is simply, you know, to have this openness. Um, It's, in a sense, not a a very difficult process to to simply be open. And like I, I said, sometimes those uh, experiences of the divine will happen and sometimes they won't, but simply being willing to have um, to have that openness to see what a book can teach you instead of um, coming to a book assuming you know what it's going to teach you is the important thing.
1: What was the time period of most of the books that you were reading?
0: So the books that I uh discuss within my book. Uh there's a wide range. Uh the oldest book uh is Sarah Stambaugh's I Hear the Reaper Song, which dates from the early 1980s. Uh, and the most recent book um is Miriam Taves's novel Women Talking, uh, which came out just a couple of years ago. So Uh, There is a range of about 40 years of texts that I look at. Most of them are fairly recent, published within the last 10 years. Um, But uh, like I said, Sarah Stambaugh's book is from about 40 years ago. I also talk about Janet Kaufman's book, The Body in Four Parts, uh, which came out in the early 1990s. Um, and I discussed some poetry by Jeff Gundy and Di Brandt, also from the 1990s. Uh, and then I think the rest of the books I talk about are from the 2010s. Uh, so it's a wide range. And I, I chose to have that wide date range um, in order to show how theopoetics uh, can relate to books from any time. Uh, and also from any literary tradition. Uh, So we don't need to be, when we're thinking about living during our current apocalyptic times, uh, we don't need to just be reading literature from these times, right? That literature that is quite old, uh, and even literature that we've read before, uh, whether it's new or old, um, we can have theopoetic experiences with it. Uh, So I intentionally chose that wide range of texts um, to show that that experience with the divine can happen at any time, that you never know what old text you might rediscover in a library somewhere uh, that you might have a theopoetic experience with. Um, And because of the, um, the memoiristic aspects of my book, I also chose uh, to discuss books that were meaningful for me in various ways. Uh, and so I also wanted to have a range of books from throughout my reading life, not just books that I've read in the past couple of years, um, but some books that I've had very long relationships with. Uh, and so the, the Janet Kaufman book that I mentioned, The Body in Four Parts, and likewise Sarah Stambaugh's book, Uh, I've had relationships with, and I've been reading them and rereading them for more than 20 years. Uh, And so I wanted to show some of that in the book as well. What
1: advice would you give to aspiring scholars interested in working at the intersection of literature, ethics, and social justice?
0: I think the most important uh, advice I could give is to read as broadly as you can Um, that's one of the things that I'm happy that showed up in this book is as I was writing it, books from all sorts of different fields and different time periods ended up getting cited, uh, as you know, as I was writing this book, um, there, this book, it turns out just needed like a huge community of different voices in it from a bunch of different eras, uh, so, like, for instance, I mentioned Walt Whitman earlier. Um, I was not anticipating that I would be writing about Walt Whitman in this book, and I ended up writing about him quite a lot as sort of one of my important theorists uh, that I, I return to again and again throughout the book. Um, so in terms of writing about these subjects, I think that's the most important thing when you're, you're trying to write about how to live ethically uh, you need to draw on as, as large of an ex, uh, as large of a community of texts as you can. Um, and so I think that's really important. Um, and I, so another example of this, uh, like I said, with auto theory, uh, a lot of important books in the field have come out just in the past couple of years. Um, but it also dates back to the early 1980s. And so reading those ancestors, having a sense of the lineage in which you are working as a writer, as someone who is uh, studying these fields is really important. Um, So reading as widely as you can, and not just in terms of subject matter, but also uh, chronologically as well, seeing uh, what older authors have said about your subjects and how they have influenced the writers that maybe are writing more recently is incredibly important. Um, and so, like I said, in terms of how I relate my book to li- Mennonite literary discourse, you know, interacting with John Ruth's book from 1978 uh, that, that sort of founded Mennonite literary discourse was really important for me, um, that I had to pay homage to that lineage Uh, And to talk about how that lineage um, continues to affect the field today. So, um, you know, just trying to educate yourself by reading as much as you can before you write and as you are writing. That certainly as I was writing this book, I kept reading and kept adding things uh, from what I was reading into the book as it evolved. Uh, you know, after after that first draft, which was completed in 2020, uh, you know, I didn't finish revising this book until um, very late in 2022 before it had to go into production. And so those entire two years, more and more voices kept getting added uh, as my reading continued. Um, and, I, you know, I think you could say that Those additions uh, were the result of theopoetic reading experiences themselves, that the universe kept sending me texts that were important for this book that needed to be in there. Um, And so when I encountered those texts, uh, you know, I, I put them in the book.
1: Any final thoughts for the New Books Network before we go?
0: Well, I want to thank the New Books Network uh, for taking interest in my book uh, and for being willing to talk with me about it. And I want to thank your listeners uh, for being willing to listen to me about it. Uh, and I just want to reemphasize something I said uh, earlier, that reading literature uh, is always uh, bigger than just sitting down and having some aesthetic enjoyment, which is very important. Um, but reading literature, it's always political. Um, it always has the potential to change us. Uh, and so I urge us all to, to try to be open to that potential um, to see how our reading experiences can transform us.
1: You listened to an original podcast recording of the New Books Network and your host, Nathan Moore. Our audience can thank Daniel Shank cruz for discussing Ethics for Apocalyptic Times, Theopoetics, Auto Theory, and Mennonite Literature out of Penn State University Press. Subscribe to get more episodes from the New Books Network.